G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill and today we start another message in Pastor Jeff's story series. We're stepping through the major stories of the Bible and it's time to look at Joshua and the walls of Jericho from the book of Joshua, chapter 5. As we listen to this ask yourself, what can I take away from this story for my life today? You can find this series and many more messages wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. But now, let's hear from Pastor Jeff. Turning your Bibles over to Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Joshua 5, 13. You're going to need your Bibles. Uh, powerful little narrative here. We're in a series called The Story where we're looking through the major narratives of Scripture all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Now we've come to the time when the children of Israel have wandered in the promised land for over 40 years and now they're getting ready to go in and take the land. Now, before we deal with this narrative, because I'm not actually going to deal that much with Joshua 6, which is the story of the walls of Jericho falling. That sermon's been preached probably thousands and thousands of times since it actually occurred. I want to deal with what happens just before that, and then we'll include the falling of the walls as part of the message. But there's something unique that happens just before the walls fall, just before they're given the instructions to take over the land. Now, before I do that, though, I I want to make mention of something. I want to tell you a struggle that most pastors have, if they're honest, okay? Here's the struggle. I know that we're saved by grace through faith. I mean, we celebrate that around here all the time, right? We say, man, if you're looking for a church with no sinners, don't come here. And if you're looking for the perfect church and you find it, don't go because you'll ruin it. Uh, There's no perfect people. We know that. We got that. We're saved by grace through faith. We love that. That is the gospel message. It's what makes it unique. And it's why you can come in here with your head held high every weekend knowing that God is a gracious, forgiving God. We got that. I got that. Okay. And that excites us. That's why we worship. But, but it is difficult not to make the conclusion as you read through the narratives of the Bible that if you want God to open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings in your life, then it's kind of important that you're obedient in that area. You with me? In other words, God is not like an enabling parent. 
If God looks down and you're violating every principle in this specific area where you need God to move, God is not going to say, according to scriptures, hey, you're violating everything I ask you not to do, but that's okay. I'm going to open the windows of heaven and bless you. It doesn't work like that. I didn't say that he was going to take away your salvation. You're saved by grace through faith. But in any area of your life, you need God to move in a dramatic way. Then obedience to God in that area always precedes God's willingness to perform a miracle. There are some of you right now think your marriage is too far gone, your children are too far gone, your job is too far gone, your career is too far gone. You're so wrong because God's special, special, his forte is causing walls to crumble, walls that appear to be impenetrable, breaking down the walls and your life goes on. But you have to understand that obedience precedes the releasing of God's divine energy and power into your life. Now you see that demonstrated one more time in the life of Joshua. This narrative is so, so powerful. And it's only two, three verses, but stay with me through it. Because as we look at the life of Joshua, we see somebody who demonstrates what happens when you're obedient to God. Okay, here's how the story begins. Well, I'm in verse 13, chapter five. The Bible says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him. Stop right there. This is the character that Joshua encounters. First question, what is he doing in Jericho? Here's what he's doing. He's taking a journey of remembrance. He's going to go to Jericho and think about the reality that they could have been here 40 years ago. In fact, Joshua was here on this very spot 40 years before. And he's thinking about how they could have been in the land 40 years had they just obeyed God. God told them. Remember what God said? God said, I have given this land to you. Now remember, Jericho is just the first city. There's going to be more battles after Jericho. The battle begins here, though. If you can't defeat Jericho, you can forget it. Turn the cart around, go back to Egypt. The first battle is with Jericho, but that happened 40 years ago. And Moses sent out two spies, sorry, 12 spies, one from each tribe of Israel. Two of those spies were who? Joshua and Caleb. And they went to see the people. Now, Joshua and Caleb understood what God had said. Don't, it doesn't matter how big they are, what they look like. I'm going to give you the land. All I want you to do is obey me, march in there, and you're going to take the city and the journey will begin. What did they do? They sent out the spies, Joshua and Caleb, and 10 other spies from 10 of the other tribes came back to give Moses a report. What did they say? Well, first of all, Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. We can do it. (laughs) God said we can go in and we will take the land. Let's go. And the people said, no, we can't do that. They're big. They're strong. The cities are fortified. And Joshua and Caleb said, it doesn't matter how big they are. What matters is how big God is. And he said, we can go in and take it. Just do it. Just obey. They said, no, we can't do that. They're big. They're strong. Cities are fortified. In fact, we look like grasshoppers compared to them. We're little people. They're big warriors. We're little farmers. And then they start going back to what their ancestors did complaining with that nasally voice. Remember, why did God bring us out here? We should go back. Our women and children are going to be taken as slaves. Turn the cart around. Let's go home. We should have stayed in Egypt. Now, this time, God has had enough. He's had enough. Joshua and Caleb, the Bible says, tear their clothes as a way of mourning. No, don't do this again. God has already demonstrated what happens when we do this. Just trust him. Let's go. We can do it. He says, we can take it only Only do not disobey God by being afraid. See what he's saying? Because God told you you're going to take it. Don't fear because fear is disobedience because you're not trusting God. 
God sees what happens. Do you know what he does? This is all in Numbers 13 and 14, by the way. You know what he does? He, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I've heard these people. They complain. They bicker. They grumble. I mean, it's like a spiritual gift for them. Some people have the spiritual gift of complaining. It's a gift. I just complain. It just comes naturally. I don't even have to try. It's from God. <laughs> And I say to every one of you in the room right now that every encounter you've had in your life and your mom and your dad and every coach and every mentor, all of them have built bricks and walls into your life. We all have. You ever look at a person and say, how does a guy become like that? And people look at you. How does a girl become like, because we're all products. We are all products. And there comes a time when that has to change. For Israel, they're just like their ancestors. They always complain, never content, no matter what God does. And God says, you know, I opened up the Red Sea for them. 10 plagues, I performed 10 miracles in Egypt for them. I fed them and they're still discontent. And here's what he says. Here comes the bad news. Moses, none of those people who treated me with contempt. Contempt is a Hebrew word that means you knew what to do, but you didn't do it. Those who treated me with contempt, they were going to see the promised land. And he holds them out in the desert for 40 years until they die out, until the new generation comes. But Joshua and Caleb, because of their faith and because they obeyed, they get to see the promised land. So Joshua has come back up to Jericho to reminisce about what happened in the past. But he's thinking to himself, what is it now? Will we get to take this land finally? Now stay with me. As you see this encounter between Joshua and this dude, whoever he is, we're going to get to that. You learn three questions that you should ask yourself, everybody, before you leave. Here's the first one. Are you courageous? Are you a person of courage? Great courage. Bible says, Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. It's this guy. Now, whoever this guy is, he's armed to the teeth and he's ready for action. That's why his sword is drawn. He's ready to confront Joshua. And Joshua is the general of the Lord's army. Now, what's humorous here is Joshua is 80 some years old now. He's an old man. And this guy comes up to this general, this intimidating figure. Now you can imagine this 80 year old man, you know, and he gets in his face. The Bible says Joshua went up to him. Look, I don't know how to translate this. The best way I can tell you what this means in the Hebrew is that Joshua got all up in his grill <laughs> and he, he kind of confronts the sea. He says, he, you know, this old man, 84, 85, he's walking like this. And he walks up to this big, powerful being, whoever he is. And he says, Whoa, I'm the general here. The battle has begun. You for us, are you against us? There's no neutrality here. You got to pick and choose right now. I'm the general. You're either fighting with me or against me. What will it be? This 84-year-old guy, you know, what's it going to be? Because I'll take you on right now, one-on-one. Now, let me just stop there for a moment before I develop this. This is a great narrative. Can I, can I tell you that in Revelation 21, 7, that there is a list of the type of people who will never be the people of God and God will never be their God. And they're listed like this, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars. He said they're consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's the second death. But I left out one, the very first one listed in Revelation 21, 7. You know what the first one is? The cowardly. The cowardly. Young people, not that the rest don't matter. Listen to me. The patterns that are in your life right now are going to be with you the rest of your life. You think right now, if you're the kind of person that you come to a fork in the road and you know what is right to do, but your emotions take over 
and you follow your emotions rather than that which is right, and you treat God with contempt, you know what to do, but you go this way because it's easier and it feels better, but you know this is the way. If you're doing that now, you're establishing a pattern, chances are you're going to be doing that in your entire life. Following Jesus takes an incredible amount of courage. It is not for the faint-hearted. It's for somebody who says, I know there's a God in heaven who's the commander-in-chief and the general, and I'm going to follow him. Let me tell you the difference between faith and courage. Faith is this. Believing God's promises when you can't see the future. All right, so God calls you, uh, Pastor Jeff, I want you to take your whole family, leave New Zealand, and go to Los Angeles. That requires faith. I want you to take your old family, move what you're used to, and go to a new land that I will show you. I want you to leave this job and go to another job. I want you to leave this city, go to another city. And you know God's saying that. That takes faith to believe that wherever God calls you, he assumes the responsibility of equipping you to achieve the calling. So you go by faith, not knowing all the details, but you say, God, I trust you. This is where you've led me. I'm going by faith. That's faith. That is not courage. Courage is this. Courage is doing what you know to be right even when it costs you something. That's courage. And you cannot follow Christ without it. Think about it. If you tell people today, hey, I'm a Christian and Christ has inspired me to go to Africa or to Thailand or anywhere in developing nations and I'm going to take care of the orphans or I am going to give water, drink, clean drinking water to those who don't have it. I'm going to build villages. What will people do? They'll look at you and say, man, you're a great Christian. And they'll give you accolades and they'll say, you're a great person of faith, but that's not courage. Here's what courage is. Courage is when you stand up and you do something that's not going to bring you accolades. It's going to bring you persecution and ridicule and people are going to separate themselves from you. Courage is when you stand up and say this, I am not going to sleep with my girlfriend until we're married. It's when you say, you know what? Same sex marriage is not appropriate. We love the gay. We love the lesbian, but we're never going to say this is appropriate. That, that, that's going to lose accolades. People are going to separate themselves from you. It takes courage to follow Christ. And he says, you're either all in or you're not in at all. I'm the commander. I'm the general. It takes courage. Here's just a picture of Joey Versace here. This is what Joshua does. Joshua says, I don't care what you 10 other spies say. God said this and that's what I'm going to do. Now, Joey and Emily got married recently. And Joey said something interesting to me a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, what really surprised me were my Christian friends. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I was around my Christian friends one day and I said, hey guys, I can't wait to marry Emily. I can't wait to feel what it's like to live with a woman you love. And his Christian friend said this to him, what, you're not doing that now? You mean you're not living with her now? Everybody lives together. And Joey said, no, because the word of God tells me that I don't, we don't belong together until the covenant of marriage. And they looked at him like, you know, you, you antiquated, old, foggy, traditional, you know, you really, when you look, if your faith is not costing you something, you're not following Christ. I was going to put it out there for you. If it's not costing you something, then you're riding the fence, man. You're right in the middle. If you really follow Jesus, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you. So you're going to have to stand up and be courageous. Now it doesn't mean that you be offensive. Please don't let me see you carrying a sign. All gays and lesbians are going to hell. No, because you still love people who disagree with you. You love them, but you still stand and you take the courageous line and you say, no matter what the world does and when everybody else abandons God's way, I'm right here. 
my father-in-law, when he was like 71 years old, we were up in Cincinnati and I went to grad school up there at a place called Cincinnati Christian University. And we went over to UDF. Anybody know what that is? Anybody from the East here? United Dairy Farmers, the best milkshake on the planet. And we went up to have a milkshake and we were coming back down. And as we were walking back home, it was a summer evening and there was a man beating his wife on the street and people around watching, helping, doing nothing. My father-in-law was like 71 years old. Man, he's like Joshua. He's an old samurai warrior. Now, this guy that was beating up on his wife was a big guy. And my little father-in-law, who's about 5'7", and about 120 soaking wet, yells and says, hey, you, won't you pick on somebody your own size? And he starts walking towards him. Now, I reminded my father-in-law, hey, man, we're not his size either. (laughs) And he's walking toward him, and I'm walking behind him. I said, what are you doing? He says, well, if we have to stop, are you with me or against me? I love it. Are you with me, Jeff? Are you against me? Let's go. And thankfully, thank God, because he wanted to spare my life. (laughs) The guy ran away. Charlie just has that impact on people. He's like Joshua. Courage is not a spiritual gift. It's an act of the will. And you either have it or you don't, but you can get it. And there comes a time you have to draw a line in the sand and say, man, I'm with him. Now, are you courageous? Are you courageous? You'll know if it's costing you something. Here's the second question, quick, because we're working our way toward the third one. That's the important one. All are important, but the third one's going to kind of bring a climactic point to the story. Have you met the real Jesus? Have you met the real one? Now, Joshua comes up. Remember, he's 84 years old or, or, or around that. We don't know exactly. And he comes up to this warrior with the drawn sword and he walks up and he confronts him and he says, are you for us or for our enemies? Same way of saying, are you for us? Or are you against us? I'm the general, make your decision. Now, do you know what the response by this character is? Here's what he says. He says, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Now, in the original language, it's not neither. Sorry, English teasers. It's no. Are you for us? Are you against us? (laughs) And the angel says, "Uh, no. No. No? What does he mean by no? And who is this dude? Let's, let's ask the question first. Who is this? Okay, all through the Bible, as you read the major narratives of Scripture, what happens? You keep meeting these creatures that are kind of interesting. You don't really know a lot about them because they're never the central aspect of the story. They're kind of on the peripheral. But yet you learn about them more and more. But even though there's not a, I mean, there's a lot to learn, but you just don't know that much. But the one thing you do know about angels, and by the way, here's a photo that my grandmother had above her uh, couch or sofa in the living room. That's an old one, isn't it? And that's based on a verse that says the angels will take care of your children in Matthew. But the one thing you know that you don't do with these dudes, you don't worship them. And when you do, they get very upset. In John, I believe it's chapter 21, 22 rather, in Revelation chapter 22 rather, it's John. And John is having this vision on the Isle of Patmos. And it's what, it's the, really the foundation of the source of the book of Revelation. And he was so overwhelmed, the Bible says he fell down and worshiped the angel, but the angel said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your fellow prophets and all who keep the words of the scroll, worship God. In other words, when you worship an angel, the angel gets really nervous and says, dude, get up. He might see. I'm like you. I mean, I know I look a lot more powerful than you and I probably am, but at the end of the day, we're both created. He's the uncreated. Don't worship me, only worship him. If you worship anything that's created, it'll, it'll, it will kill you in the end. Only one deserves worship. Get up. Now, notice in this passage, Joshua falls face down to the ground 
And he says, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Now, the angel does not say to Joshua, get up. You know what the angel says? Hey, good move on the worship thing. Now take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. This is not an angel. Who is this? From time to, it's so beautiful. From time to time in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord will appear. appear. Shows up all the time. He gets worshiped. He speaks as if he is God. Do you know who this is? It's the pre-incarnate Christ. It's Jesus. You say, whoa, now I'm not a Bible scholar, but Jesus doesn't show up until Matthew. We're in the Old Testament. No, 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 no. Let us make man in our own image. Jesus was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. Colossians says that in Jesus, all things were made. For Jesus, all things were made. And that Jesus holds everything together. This is the triune God. And there is one whose job it is within the Trinity to come down in the form of man and redeem his people. And all through the Old Testament, God keeps giving a glimpse. And what he's doing is he's saying, be ready, be ready. I want to prove to you that I can come down in the form of man if I want to. But one day I'm going to come down and I'm going to die on a cross and I'm going to redeem my people once and for all. It's like a setup all through the Old Testament. Joshua meets this guy. So you know who he's talking to now, right? He's talking to the Lord God. He's talking to Jesus, pre-incarnate form. And it's Jesus that confronts Joshua. Joshua confronts him back. And you say, okay, wait a minute. Okay, so this is Jesus. Well, what does it have to do with have I met the real Jesus? Have you started to notice something? When Jacob meets the real God, what happens? A wrestling match breaks out. When Job meets the real God, he faces a tornado. When Joshua meets the real God, what happens? He's a warrior armed to the teeth with sword drawn and ready for action. Meeting Jesus is not a warm, fuzzy experience. When Isaiah met the Lord, he said in chapter 6, verse 5, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He said, Woe is me, I am broken into a million pieces. Here, listen, listen. If I come to your house and I knock on the door, and you open it, and you say, Come in, Jeff, but stay out vines. I kind of look at you and say, well, what? Come in, Jeff, but stay out vines. I don't know what to do. I, I can't do that. You, you either get Jeff and vines or you get none at all. You can't just have half of them. I, mean, I don't know how to divide those up. What's your point? My parents' generation, every generation errs somewhere, okay? Every generation, and the pendulum's always swinging. My father's generation, they were not a, a generation of grace. They weren't. It was all law, no grace, no mercy, but this generation has its own fault too. And you know what it is? You're fence riders. You're halfway in and halfway out. You want the Jesus who will love you, help you, comfort you through hard times, but you don't want the Holy One that comes riding on a white horse and his name is the name above all names. And he requires you to live a pure and holy life. He doesn't ask you or suggest that you do so. He says that you pursue holy living, that you pursue righteousness, that you come from out the world and your life is so distinct that you're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that you're a light in the dark world, that you're the salt of the earth. He insists, he doesn't ask, he insists that you remain pure until you're married. 
He insists and commands that you seek first the kingdom of God and everything else second. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. This is not a war march. This is a liturgical march. It is a seven-day worship service to acknowledge that, God, I can't, but you can. And so the priests go out before the ark, and then they're supposed to blow the ram's horn. Did you know this is the same word in the Hebrew for jubilee? You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.